Hey fellow chasers, just a quick note before we get into this episode to please rate and review the show and check out thechasepodcast.ca for more content. And most importantly, if you like what you hear, please share it with someone else who could use a little help on their journey. Just a heads up that during the interview, there was an air conditioner running in the room and the fan messes with the audio a little bit. It's a bit annoying, so my apologies. Here we go. An epiphany is a moment of sudden revelation or insight. They're supposed to be rare events, like Newton realizing that a falling apple and the orbiting moon are both pulled by the same force. But if you think about it, it isn't the moment of inspiration that's really important. It's what happens next. I mean, Newton could have simply eaten the apple. I mean, that's what I would do. I like apples. But instead, he goes on to formulate his theory of gravitation and the world takes a collective step forward. Inspiration is cheap. What you do with it, well, that's what matters. You're listening to The Chase. We were just asked to explore things like basically really dig deep and really think about what you want out of life and what's important. What are your values? Um, those sorts of questions where I just sort of I think when you're working in the corporate world, you just sort of you just sort of just carry on because that's what you're supposed to do. And you just live your life and keep moving on up and keep doing what you need to do. Um, and there really isn't that, that time to take a breath and think, is this really the path that I want to go on? And the leadership course was an opportunity to, to stop, breathe, and really reflect upon everything that I was doing. That's the voice of Rochelle Straker. We're meeting up at her design studio on Queen Street East in Toronto. It's a small space. It does double duty as part storage facility, part client meeting space, but it does so with style. Rochelle is one half of Cry If I Want To, a boutique design house. While today she considers herself a creative professional, that wasn't always the case. For years, Rochelle worked in the education world, where she quite successfully climbed the corporate ladder. That journey led her to the moment she is describing. And that moment is her sitting in a fourth floor conference room, attending a leadership program put on by her employer. Part of it was kind of figuring out what direction you wanted to lead in. So what, what direction you wanted to take your career in. And we were talking about the things that we were talking that were important to us. And everybody was coming up with the various different things that were that were important to them. So people were like, well, I want to improve the world or I want to, um, I don't know, help people or whatnot. And I remember for me, one thing that was really important was I wanted to make things look nice. And everybody thought that was like the weirdest thing. And I was like, you know, I'm like, I know it sounds very superficial, but I think that when things look great, or, 
it helps people to feel comfortable and I think when people feel comfortable they can really be their best and and true self their their best self and so um even though everybody was ridiculing my my thought I thought you know what there's something to this and it didn't really fit into the business model but but I thought well maybe maybe that's because it's not really the best fit and there it is the moment of sudden revelation Rochelle's in the wrong job this moment of inspiration continues on into the evening later on that night my sister and I were having dinner and we and we were both sort of lamenting what we did as our nine to fives and I remember thinking you know I think I just need to be doing something more creative in my life and she was and she thought the same thing and then so we grabbed a napkin and we started like writing out the things that we wanted to do and the things that we thought would allow us to have more creativity in our lives and we both had this sort of passion for design and for making things look great and so we put that on and we both love partying so we put that on our little napkin and we both love um entertaining shopping and we put and we saw our list grew and grew and then so from that list we sort of pulled together all of these ideas and we pulled out the shopping and we thought having a store and we pulled out the design and we were like we want to be designers and we pulled out entertaining and we thought of well maybe we want to have a store that centers around people that like to entertain and so we thought yeah that's it that's what we want to do it's that simple Sitting on a patio over a few glasses of rosé, the initial concept for a business was born. And a simple napkin had been transformed into a roadmap, showing the two sisters a path to a more fulfilling life. One that would allow them to express the creativity currently being stifled by their corporate world jobs. But what do you do after the moment of inspiration? What's the next moment like? So what happens the next day? Um... You just get up and go to work the next Yeah, time? we did. <laughs> we did. But we went with sort of... It's, some, it's funny. When you've made your mind to pursue something, all of a sudden, everything seems better. So everything sort of feels lighter because you have a sense of direction and purpose. And so I don't think anything changed immediately um, in terms of us moving towards the business the next day. But definitely we had a sense of focus that we had to sort of put a plan in place in order to make our next move. While they may have had a napkin, they didn't have a crystal ball. And it turns out that the original business concept, well, it was going to need to evolve over time if Rochelle was ever going to live the creative life she longed for. And so we started playing around with names. Um, we remembered the Leslie Gore song that my mom loved. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. And I'm like, damn it, It's My Party would be such a great name. But it's already taken by the star on the dance floor. And we're like, well, what about Cry If I Want To? Which is the next line in the song.
It's My Party by Leslie Gore hit number one on the pop and R&B charts in 1963. It's the first hit single by producer Quincy Jones. The song tells the story of a teenager who can't enjoy her own party after her boyfriend Johnny mysteriously disappears. Because you know who else is missing? Judy. That's so Judy. Okay, so the dream has a name now, and it's time to start executing the business plan laid out on that napkin. And they do. But it doesn't take very long for Rochelle to start to question if they've really found the entrepreneurial freedom that they thought they were pursuing. Originally, we actually started off by um, providing party rentals um, for people who wanted to entertain. And we were always, we always felt so frustrated when we wanted to throw a party that we couldn't get really cool party rentals. So we thought, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna provide really cool party rentals for people who wanna throw their own parties. And um, that business um, grew so much that we actually grew to hate it because it involved wa washing a lot of dishes as opposed to watching people throw great parties. It was actually New Year's Day. My sister and I were together and we were like, okay, what do we need to change a better business? And she's like, well, what if we didn't do rentals anymore? And I was like, yes, let's not do rentals anymore. <laughs> and it was so funny because we kept this part of our business because it, it was almost like we were still in the corporate world. Like, it's a thing to do. It's a successful part of your business. It was making us a lot of money, but we both hated it so much. But we kept it because we're like, but it's a, it's a, it's a successful part of our business. We got to keep it. And then we thought... But it's successful, but we're putting all this time, all this energy, all this negative energy into something we hate. Ironically, the new business they had created still had the same trappings of their corporate world lives, which they were trying to flee in the first place. Time to adapt. They jettison the rental business and focus on the parts of the business they actually love. And that napping comes in handy again. Remember, the two sisters started by brainstorming about what they really valued and what they thought would be fulfilling. It's all there on the napkin. So it's easy to go back to the original intentions and redirect from there. And that leads them to the opening of their first retail location. I think for us, we really wanted to open a store. And so we started looking at various spaces and, and discovering how much rent really was um, for retail spaces. Um, and then we happened to, to come across a young woman who had just recently opened a store. It was having, um, she was about her, the same age as we were, and she was struggling a bit and needed some help and offered to share space with us. And that's how we started. We started our first retail space, sharing a space with another store owner. A little creative thinking gets Rochelle around the harsh reality that they couldn't actually afford the retail space that they had wanted. And this new partnership, well, it allows Rochelle and her sister to gain the experience of having a retail location without the cost and risk usually associated with it. So that's a win. After a while, Cry If I Want to expands and takes over a retail space all its own. Their offerings expand as well, from party supplies and decor onto interior and event design products and services. Basically, if you can beautify it, Cry If I Want To is in. 
one product line that they add ends up creating another pivot point for the business. Somehow, I don't know, I can't remember how, it must have been my sister, because um, I don't remember the details of it, but we got into selling um, invitations, um, like wedding invitations, or invitations to any event, but, it, but really the focus was on weddings. And um, we sold, the particular invitations that my sister saw and really liked were plantable invitations. And um, she had discovered this company, which had opened, I think, probably about a year before we had opened. And they were a Canadian company, and they were looking for vendors to help sell them their invitations. And so we became one of their first Canadian vendors. This part of the business grows, and clients begin to ask for more variety and customization. The vendor Rochelle is working with is apprehensive about doing that. So she volunteers to make the design changes herself. They agree, since it means they don't have to do the work. And this becomes a training exercise in graphic design for Rochelle and her partner. They hone their design and technical skills, becoming fairly adept graphic designers. The invitation business continues to grow, eventually becoming up to 50% of their sales. And that's the next pivot point. The retail store isn't profitable, and they can't sustain it long term. But the design end of the business, well, it's growing. So the business plan needs to shift again. Cry If I Want To makes another evolutionary step from retail store to design house. That's where the business is today. So Judy and Johnny have returned to the party, seemingly just to rub it in the narrator's face. I mean, who does that? Can we all agree, Judy and Johnny are assholes. I'm just saying. Okay, so remember through all this, both Rochelle and her sister Allison have kept their corporate world jobs. They're burning the candle at both ends, trying to get this business started while still balancing their job responsibilities. It sounds tricky, right? So I asked her what it was like. Very hard. <laughs> it was it was very challenging to um, to balance the both. Um, I'm glad I did this when I was relatively young. Um, just having having the energy to do both, um, but at the same time, it gave. I think doing something that you love gives you a little bit of um, extra energy and a little bit of adrenaline to sort of get you through. I remember. When we opened, um, when we finally moved to our own location and we opened our own store, um, we would pull all-nighters like the same way you pull all-nighters like when you're studying for exams. And I would be in, I would get home from work and go straight, straight to the shop and start painting. And we'd paint until like two o'clock in the morning and then maybe go home, get some shut-eye, and then head out to work the next day. And it was fine. It was, it was almost like, you know, you were going to a club and partying and then going to work the next day. So manageable, but for how long? I mean, my clubbing days are years in the rearview mirror, but I don't remember those morning afters feeling particularly good. 
So keeping this up forever doesn't seem realistic. It, that's sustainable for short periods of time. Um, and it was great. And at the time I had great bosses who were very, I mean, I had a, a really good job. That was the job itself was very flexible. Um, I had bosses that, that were very flexible with me and I was, I was very lucky in that aspect. Not everybody has that. And so I can acknowledge that I was very lucky to be in that position. Um, and it was, it was sustainable for a while. Um, but there come, there does come a time when you realize you have to put more energy into one thing or another and you feel that certain parts of, um, parts of your life are kind of going what are sort of begging you to go one way or the other. I like that idea that the passion in your life will eventually beg you to embrace it. It demands your full attention. And so Rochelle can't juggle forever and ends up being Cry If I Want To's first full-time employee. She remains its only full-time employee to this day. She says the transition into being a full-time entrepreneur can be foreboding. In fact, she has a term for it that I kind of like. I think that anybody who's in business for themselves has a moment of ultimate terror. Um, I think having a partnership makes us, um, makes having a business very much easier and much more sustainable for Alison and I because we always have, Alison has a great, Alison's still working full-time and so we always have her full-time salary to fall back on if anything crazy happens. So we've had some really sucky months um, where um, our expenses um, we're greater than the income that's come in and she's been able to top us up. And, and so we've always been able to, our rents have always been reasonable. So we've always been able to make rent, always been able to eat, always had a roof over our heads. And that's very important. Um, I can say being in, having, being working for myself, I've never been happier, but I've also never been more broke in my life. And I mean, you know, we we bring a cool, like decent money in, but we also spend a lot of money in order to promote our business, in order to buy, to have inventory, in order to do what we need to do. So it's, it's a challenge to sort of make, uh, have a profitable, profitable business, but you know, it's something that we strive towards every day, obviously. So her partner keeps the feeling of ultimate terror at bay. And passions are better when you share them with another human being, aren't they? So there's real value in pursuing this dream with another. Allison is awesome. <laughs> Allison is my sister, um, my best friend, and um, my business partner, the person who, def I definitely could not do this without her. Um, we're a lot alike, but very different. Um, Allison is a lot more cautious than I am um, and much better with money than I am, which is a good thing. That's why she handles the money aspect of her business. Um, and um, she's great. To, it's great to be in business with somebody who's so smart, so future thinking and um, and allows you just to do what you love to do. They say mixing business and family can be dangerous. I asked Rochelle if she was concerned about that 
before she decided to embark on this journey along with Allison? Not really. We didn't think about it. Um, and I think, I don't know. I don't know why. I think, it, I guess it could be risky, but we've had a really good relationship for a long time. And we've been best friends for a long time. And by a long time, I don't necessarily mean all of our lives because I didn't really like her until I turned about 25, I would say. <laughs> oh, maybe a little earlier than that. But I think I didn't really like her until she became an adult. And then, and that's when we became best friends. Um, but through, but it's funny, we know, the good thing, if you are working with a business partner who's a friend or a stranger or whatnot, you don't really, I don't think you, you don't necessarily have the same level of commitment that you do with your sister or a family member or sibling. Like I know that no matter what happens, that my sister always has my back. I know that no matter what disagreement that we might have, that the bottom line is I come first to my sister and she comes first to me. It's My Party is track one on the I'll Cry If I Want To album. Judy and Johnny leave the party pretty pleased with themselves. Thankfully though, being terrible people doesn't pay off. And comeuppance comes immediately on the B-side. The lesson here? Don't be a shitty person. That's a life lesson that Rochelle has never needed. She's kind and generous, so it's easy to pull for her success as she continues along this journey. The lesson she has learned? Adapt. Evolve. That napkin was imperfect. It didn't hold the idea, the perfect business concept, but it was close enough to start to move beyond the moment of inspiration and actually do something, to initiate change, that's, that's a pretty amazing napkin. Several years into the journey, Rochelle's perspective on what success looks like has shifted. I don't know. I think I just wanna, wanna, be, I wanna be creative. You know, one of the things I think a lot about is like when I die, what, what are people gonna think of me? What are, and I do, I want people to think of me as somebody who made a difference um, it's someone who just made their lives more beautiful. And whether, and whether that's emotionally or whether that's physically, I think that's what I want people to sort of think about, about me um, when I'm gone. And no more dishes. Hell no. <laughs> I don't even want to do my own dishes. 